Listener Production. Welcome back. You are listening to episode 189 of the Howie Games Part B featuring Owen Wright. A reminder about Owen's brand new book, Owen Wright Against the Water by Simon and Schuster. You do not have to have any interest at all in surfing to get all sorts of things from this book. Alrighty, on we go. 10th of December, 2015. We mentioned at the start that you have some anxiety talking about this, so I'd rather listen than ask too many questions. Mm-hmm. What happened that day? You've explained pipe to me. You've explained mm-hmm. what you need to do to succeed at pipe. What happened mm-hmm. that day? I did. I got the game wrong. I, um, I had a lot of confidence, um, probably just not registering fear at all at that stage. I was really confident. Um, I had... I went straight out, straight to the deep spot in the lineup, and I remember the first wave that came through that day, and I, I, um, I was like probably 10, 15 metres deeper than the next guy, um, way up the point. The swell was super west, and yeah, I got one of the best waves of the morning. It was huge. It was giant. There was so much, like, big swell seconds, so it was holding all the, all the water onto the reef. Um, I came out of that barrel... And I was just like, I just, you know, felt all those good things. Like it's, it's looking good. You're uh, sounding invincible from your description to this yeah, point. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm in the world title race at the time as well. Um, and like, if I do well at pipe, then um, I've got a real shot at winning the title. So it was kind of like practice for that and, and out and out there. So that wave was like a real good notch under my belt. So I paddled back out. I paddled straight back to that deep spot, deeper than everyone else. And then this giant, like giant like second reef wave that should have probably broke on third reef out further again these waves where you say they pop up or they break yep. or don't break it didn't break all the way until like second all the way came all the way into the second reef and everyone was bailing their boards and diving to the bottom and i just had so much confidence that i just decided to duck dive and so, so for those following, so bailing people are jumping off their board, they're swimming as deep as they can, they're letting their surfboard go. Yeah, they're getting like three, four metres underneath by diving. And a duck dive, you, you lean to the front of your board, you press your leg up and you try and sort of scoot out under the wave, yeah? Yeah. And, and so you're probably going not even a metre under the water. Half a metre tops a metre. with a, so, a seven-foot board. Yep. You're not getting it down very deep. So you're trying to duck dive it. Yeah, and I get probably half a metre under and this wave just absolutely detonates me on top of me. Um, so the wave landed on you per se. It pretty much yeah. broke on you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And um, how big a wave are we talking? Oh, geez, I think it was every bit of like twelve feet. Okay. Plus. So an enormous like, wave. It was a couple of stories was, high. Yeah, it was the biggest wave that I've had land on me at pipe by by far. The swell size, the tide, everything was just the water in it was just like relentless that morning. Um, and then, yeah, I guess this is the part that always brings up a bit of anxiety is because it's like not super clear the next part, but like there was, I had a lot of people out in the water to tell me, you know, like I was, you know, just, I, I'd, I'd resurfaced after that wave, but like, you know, probably like from my friends around me, they said I, I resurfaced, but I was like 50 meters in and what, resurfaced way later than everyone else. You know, I can talk about my feeling and I've got flashbacks and things and that, but I felt like I had the life knocked out of me in that, in that, in that, when that wave landed on me and, and, you know, there was, I was still out the back. I was still way out the back. There was a 10 wave set that all broke in that same spot. And now I was just in the impact zone, copping 10 footers, 12 footers, wave after wave. Are you bailing off your board trying to swim under at this point? You don't know. I'm from worse. That waves are just like flashbacks waves are just hitting me. I wasn't even diving or nothing. I was just, Jeez. I was like in that uh, flight, flight response, so to speak, where I was just trying to survive. And I remember, I know, I, know, I feel the feeling. I've got the flashbacks, everyone, too, but I I basically have like a really strong flight, flight response, which keeps, keeps me alive in this moment, right? And, and gets me back to land. I get back to land and I get up to the Rip House and I kind of like, no, I'm, I'm I'm slurring my words a little bit. I, I I try to eat, but I can't like I, I can't 
chew properly and like food it was weird. like my sister was like it was so weird like you couldn't eat and then you were slurring your words and you kept just talking about how flogged you got this is tyler tyler was yeah and i i i, I know the feeling like I, and i got the flashbacks but it's just it, it it's the moment that then when i laid down in bed like i i just gave up on like that morning it was just like oh super weird went downstairs laid in bed and and then that's this is the part where you know where i i started to lose like my ability to move and speak and see and things were like just i was going out but i didn't know why and the panic of that is just like and it was just so big like i was just starting to panic and my friend my friends found me and like a you know it was it was pretty bad at that stage. I was trying to speak, but I couldn't speak. Um, and I just remember this feeling of like, I'm here, but I can't, I can't action it. You know, I can't get out. Um, and so that's, that's where I was, man. It was just like this scary place. And then that's when it all kind of doctors come around and that, and I guess that's from where the accident happened out at pipe and that time that was when the adrenaline was starting to wear off and the swelling was still going in the brain. So there's concussion. You, you explained it really well in Against the Water. There's yeah. concussion and then there's what you described, which I then went and read about, a TBI, yeah. a traumatic brain injury. Mm -hmm. Explain to me what that is and what it was doing to you, if yeah. you're okay. Yeah, I can. So so concussion is like three levels. You've got mild, moderate, and severe. So I was at a severe concussion state at that stage where there was just – lots of swelling on the brain and then mine stepped over into a tbi because then i had a, a minor bleed which is a a minor tbi but a minor tbi is like five to ten years or you know it's like a seriously long time to cover from it, it steps a, a severe concussion is 12 months or like you know or you know less like six to six months 12 months and then mine goes to TBI which is like long term so it's like changes to your brain and like yeah and so I mean I we went off to hospital and the rest of it and then that was that was when they said oh like you've you've got a TBI it's, what does that mean to you nothing it meant nothing but the doctors were like we don't know this you're five ten years we don't know what where where this sits there was no Positive. Five to ten year recovery period. Yeah, they say they didn't know. They were just because it stepped over into that, into that another level past concussion. What's it like to hear that? Of panic, mate. Absolute panic. I was like, "This is. I've got to get out of here. I don't like hearing this." And I was, you know, all reports. I still feel that that panic of like, "I've got to change where I am. I can't stay here. I need to get out of here." So you left the hospital. Just got out of the hospital, yeah. You described out of hospital um, when you went downhill really quickly. Oh, yeah. That was the part of the book that I honestly read. I read those five pages four times to yeah. try and understand yeah. what you were talking about. Yeah. I got I went, I went. got out of hospital. I was in a wheelchair. I had like blacked out eye goggles. I could barely, barely move. I couldn't walk. So I was like getting carried to the God. car. And so I was just like adamant to leave this hospital. I don't even know how I got out. Like, you know, it's so, such a wild time, but I was just adamant, man. Like this is like the panic that I must've been feeling inside. Like I still feel it. It's like, I just wanted to get out of there. And I got out and it just got so much worse. Like obviously the stimulation, the people, you know, everyone coming in, um, wasn't long after that I was back in hospital because I'd had like it, another extremely like intense episode which should like just cause me to just go like out again like i had to go back to the hospital back in the ambulance what was what happened so I, you know i still find it hard to explain and and this would be the first I, I, it's in my book but it's the first time i've spoken it but i i lost control of my body again and the same panic and i was going out i had a it was just a, an overwhelming scenario and and I don't know exactly what happened, but I 
went I went somewhere else. It was it was colourful. It was um, you know it was what I call I feel like to this day, and it holds true. I felt like I went somewhere else, and and I had a decision to either come back or or stay away. And um, I obviously I'm still here now, but that why'd you come back? I I you know the track when I got back was so incredibly hard, but I but but when I was there I. I remember coming back for the for the people around me, and, and I remember my sister and my family and um, my girl at the time, and you know, Keita was my now wife. So it was just like it was not spoken word, but it was like all these emotions, and it was so incredibly colourful. Like it was weird. And I remember it clear as day, but yeah. But when I come back too. I just my my I was still in the same terrible state and it was so confusing like and so hard that that was just like barely functionable but like when I was over there I was just free and like yeah I could move and I was yeah but just a weird it was just a weird thing that just stuck with me and I you know went to hospital and I guess that was you know I had to go back to hospital because I was in you know, I guess like that was what I experienced, but what my family members saw was me just convulsing and, and shaking in the bed and kind of like saliva and whatever. And yeah, they didn't witness anything pretty, but I, on the other side, I felt something, something completely, well, I don't, yeah, I still don't fully understand, but that it lives in me. I can see it and take myself there. It's not a, yeah, it's not too different from talking right now. It's an intense description, and I mm. appreciate your honesty and ability to mm. talk about it. Before we get to the recovery, the obvious question that is asked of anyone in that situation mm. is once you get through something like that and have what can only be described as a near-death experience, mm. do you then view life differently? Or is it just for a week or a month and then you just, you obviously haven't forgotten it. Oh, no, it's, it's right there. Like it's that old second chance, I would know. I do things differently? It's a, it's a cliche question, but it's. And you know what? I I want to say like I learnt entirely, but I think I'm still learning. Right. Like i I've made a lot of the same mistakes that I made prior to mm -hmm. that and I've made more, you know, you know, mistakes that I feel like I the second chance would have like fixed, but I I had this thing of like I just wanted to be the same again. And so on one side it's like I should have learned from that second chance, but I was just like I just want to be the old Owen again, but realizing that that's not going to, mm. that was never going to happen. And I was just trying to recreate all those things, which was basically like taking on fear the same way as I used to take on, taking on big waves like the same way as I used to take on, but it just wasn't working. I couldn't, I couldn't get to those places. I was so, like, it was like I'd, I'd change from that experience. So there's, there's definitely a change and um, but it was learning a new way to navigate that. And maybe I've learned from that now, but as the when I was in the thick of that, I, I don't even know if my my brain was comprehending like decisions and things like that as well as I do now. So, what's the recovery? What's the? We'll get to when you came back to surfing. What's mm. the thing about the show? Oh, and I talked to you about it at the start mm. before we started recording. Every athlete has highs and lows to get where they are. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're in the midst of a tremendous low here at the moment. There's yeah. a tremendous high coming. So if yeah. people are taking a deep breath when they're listening to this, which I would understand, don't worry, there's a tremendous high coming. But what's yeah. what's the low point of recovery from this TBI situation, physically, mentally? Man, there's it, it. what's so interesting about my recovery, looking back on it now that I have like what I felt in the – what was physically and what everybody else was perceiving as the hardest, which was me not being able to walk, slurring, like, you know, just 
daily function, having to be washed and like going from like the going for a world title to basically not being able to wash yourself. Jeez. You know, like this was for everyone around me was like so hard to see and heartbreaking, right? But me in that state was delusional. Like I like was totally not with it. And and I guess this is the part where like for the th- three to four months that was like really really average for myself like physically where my friends still to this day are just like shocked at what at what I went through and what I was my physical capability nobody thought I was ever going to come back or return or you know I was you know day by day trying to like get a little bit further down the hallway than the last or with a walking frame or the daily daily activity was coloring in or journaling or trying to meditate or mostly sleeping or um, but I was also having post-traumatic amnesia from my brain being so much trauma still that like my memories were kind of going out a few times a day. Not, not memories of the event, just memories full stop. So the way it was happening was that my brain was in so much trauma that my activities through the day weren't laying down, like laying down tracks in my brain. It was just kind of like going in and then just like scattering your filing cabinet around. Like Ooh. you'd never been, so you, uh, me at the time, I couldn't recall what I was doing that morning, let alone like what I was, you know, what I was doing an hour before. So it was happening a few times a day where I was like, where's all my surfboards or where, what, what, like, what, you know, I've got a tour event coming up and. That's frightening, mate. Yeah. So, I mean, for everybody around me, but me, I was on, in my mind, I was on tour next month. Like I was adamant that I was like fine. And they, were, they had this wild job of convincing me that I wasn't fine. And then you could imagine the tension that caused because, like, they're trying to get the penny to drop. My brain's in such a bad state that it's not dropping. Like, they, they can't get through to me that I'm in a terrible condition. So, I mean, I just had to keep, like, at that stage, I, I was, like, because I was slightly delusion, delusional, I was also pushing a lot, like, trying and trying and trying and, eventually got out of the house and eventually got, eventually, you know, got up to the driveway and, you know, my friends would come and help me into a car and they would drive me around and whatnot as well at the time. So they'd often talk about funny things, but so I'd often say the same thing and repeat myself and like, you know, they'd just have to kind of pat up the sides and then they'd drop me back and, you know, it was really hard for them because they'd, they'd leave there and just like lose their mind yeah. and what they were saying. But I was in this weird state that I was kind of delusional. And my penny didn't drop until probably four months in. And that's when I felt like the full weight of the situation and how hard it was because I fully understood that I was not, I was not well. And I was, and then I can hear their voice, the emotion come up in my voice. Now that was the hardest moment was when I, when I grasped that I was like for all purposes, just, Fucked. I think you'd say, mate. Yeah, yeah. you were absolutely fucked. Yeah, I was fucked, and I, and that's when I felt the full fear of like, what's my future hold? Well, you know, I was, I was pretty ruined. Yeah, but that was like four months in, so there's like, life's happened, and like, and then I wasn't until then that the penny dropped on like, I was in this such a bad state, and my body was screwed. I couldn't walk properly. I couldn't surf. Still didn't know how to surf at that time. Like I was, and I was like, what is going on? I couldn't figure it out. There was all these like memories of the last four months that I had no idea of what had happened because I'd turned this corner and it was like this, this part of my life was like no longer, I couldn't access it easily. Like it was just gone, but I just was in reality, like in this part where I was, having to deal with what's ahead of me and the deal with my current state. And that was the first time I kind of had to deal with that. And that was like three to four months in. But the the, the, the last three to four months disappeared and that, I guess that was the post-traumatic amnesia. Mm. My brain kind of protecting myself, protecting itself from from that state that I was in. So I didn't actually feel that full force until about three to four months in. It's pretty pretty wild. What about the woman beside you at this stage? 
at that stage, man, this is this is even harder to talk about. But I'm just so lucky that my that I had the support of Kita, um, and she was really compelled to stand by my side and through all that. And we were only newly together prior to prior to the head injury, and so to come through all that at the other side and still well I feel like out the other side of that three to four months right but like I still had so far to go but like I felt like I got through this like time period where like it was it's still you know I've got the memories now but it's like hard to get in the right order but she struck by me through all that um and I finally turned this corner and the hardest thing for her to hear was that like the time that she'd spent enduring all that tough slog of me not knowing and being, you know, up and down and trying to walk, not being able to, cleaning me and my family, supporting all that, I just, it, it just blanked. And, and, and so I was trying to access those memories and they were so hard to access. They they came as time went on, but it was like I was back before the head injury. So at this point, again, Owen's book is called Against the Water. It's an in-depth description, but Owen's descriptions in the book are even further in-depth and mm. his descriptions of the period before he was able to surf again is is for me, the most compelling part of your book, and it's why people, after listening to this, there is so much more of this story that we don't have the time to tell, which is why you need to go and buy Owen's book, Against the Water, because you're understanding if you've got to this point that it's not about surfing in many ways. Mm. How long after the 10th of December 2015 do you stand on a surfboard for the first time? I'm not too sure of the exact time, and it will be in my book because yep. I would have recalled it Yeah, I think well. you ish yeah, it would have probably been an issue in there as well. Yeah. But um, my dad come to get me and, geez, emotion comes up, but. You're right, mate, take your time. The face of big fear, getting back in the water. So, so what did he say? Him along with the neurologist says, it's time. You've got to get back to the ocean. And what was that message like to hear? It was tough, but I knew it was time. So at this stage, so we've come the full circle, mate. Mm. Your chance to take a breath. So at this stage, we've learned about leaning into fear as yeah. a seven-year-old. Now you're a grown man. Yeah. And you've learned what there is to be fearful about. Yeah. How, how do you feel about leaning into the fear now? Well, it scared the shit out of me. Yeah, right. Yeah. Understandably, mate. Oh, God. Take me back in there, I tell you. But um, I had to face it. I knew I did. It was the only way I was going to get my life back. I'm thankful that I had him there because he took me into it. But it was not any easier. But he was there with you? He was there. The first duck dive... (laughs) This God Almighty cramp in my chest. <laughs> Did you? And it was anxiety. Anxiety, yeah. Yeah, struck it. Struck it. And I presume we're not talking 10 foot waves here at this point either. No, nah, it's just two foot, mate. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's two foot. And uh, yeah, it strikes deep, man. The, the, the knot in my chest, the pain. And it was just all anxiety. The fear was gripping. <laughs> When you said you had to do it to regain your life, what do you think life would have been if you didn't do it? I think I think that's part of the fear, man. So it, could have, it could have gone either way at this point. And it was the... If it wasn't for my dad and the neurologist, uh, the context, I was even living in the bush... Uh, I think I'm a bit of time, but... Take, take, have a drink of water. 
I was living in the bush. But the fear was so big that it was like, I'm never going back to the ocean. That's it. That was it. And this is, people, we've heard your story about your connection with the ocean yeah. forever and a day. You are the ocean and the ocean is you in many ways. Yeah. So you, you're done. It, my house was half an hour from the beach in the middle of the bush and it crossed two creeks to get to it. For that reason? For that reason. Wow. And, um, yeah, the neurologist and, you know, they, they had to wait their time to tell me until I clicked back in to tell me that you got to get, you got to get back to the ocean. And, um, yeah, and I, I guess that's the part where I, you know, looking back and getting over those emotions there now, they're still there and that's why I found the book so hard to, yes. to get out. But, um, I bet, mate. I got back to the ocean. I, I, I had the cramp and, um, you know, come back to the childhood, back to Aussie Pipe, you know, you got the, got the chance. It's now. Lean into it. Lean into it. Fuck. And so I got my first wife and I could surf. So all those things, all that turn, that corner that I'd turned was so big, reality had sunk back in and so the surfing had come back in. I could access, like, I could access the things that were me. So it was a tough time, but a special time. So it happened on the 10th of December, 2015, which we've mm. talked about. Mm. We get to Snapper. So what's this? At this is this typically February 2017? Yeah, Feb, March. Okay. Yeah. So on the front of your book, I love this. You're a lunatic, mate. Yeah. Fanning. Yeah. Me, myself, and Eugene. The all-time sporting comeback is what it says, and that's a quote from Mick. Mm, yeah. And I read that, and I thought, oh, yeah. And then I read your book, and I was like, old mad Mick Fanning, he's got that spot on. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah. So, well, it is, mate. Like, Yeah, these guys are pretty close to the whole experience. Well, and they're seeing it, and I know he saw a lot of what happened with your sister, and we need to get her on the show at some stage. Mm. So, like, that fear is with you, yet you're going back into full-on competition. Yeah, man. Back to the world tour. Back to the world tour. Back yeah. to the back to the thing that nearly killed you. And I, you know what? I had no other way. It was like, it was like, if I'd chosen another way, I wouldn't be me here today. Right. It was like, I'd come back, everything I'd learnt, everything I'd my whole upbringing had led me to like just take this back head on back to the world tour all yeah. those lessons from your dad as all it? those lessons yeah and it was like and that was part of the recovery from that was just like each step you know two foot waves three foot waves four foot waves anything that was slight the the the, the chest pains the anxiety like was striking it so that wasn't moment. a one-off that was no nah, mate whenever the surf got to that next level you're yeah. Packing it again. I don't really know. What to say. I'm really lost for words. I'm lost for words. Yeah. So your first event back at Snapper. Yeah. And this is where Mick's talking about the, the start of the sporting comeback. Yeah. Well, let's let's not keep people in suspense. You won it. I won it. Yeah. Ten seconds remaining. Matty Wilco paddling. He's having a look. But nothing coming through. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. Joe. What a Cinderella story, what a moment, what a day, what an emotional win right there for Owen Wright, oh my goodness. Like never seen before, Owen Wright is the champion of the Quicksilver Pro and wears the Jeep yellow jersey, number one in the world heading into Margaret River. So he beat Mick, who's a past champion here, he beat Medina, who's a past champion here, now he takes down Matty Wilco, who's a defending champion. It's not like he had an easy run, Joe. He had to take down the best of the best here at Snapper. How the hell did you win it? I don't know. I, it, it, I still scratch my head to this day. I was very simple. Had a great coach, Glenn Micro Hall, um, who, who he put the time into understanding my brain. Um, obviously, my dad. My support, Keita, um, my family. Ripkel, far out, man. Like, they rolled out the carpet. You know, they 
you know, Claw himself gave me his personal unit at Snapper Rocks. That's the man that formed Rip Curl we're talking about Yeah. Now. Like I, I was looked after, man, like so well. And I, the support I had was incredible. And it, it basically let me rock up to that comp. Like with headphones on, with no music in them, with blindfolds on, put a rash on, get spoken two words to my mama my coach at the time which was stay on your feet you know a few words stay on your feet and that's um the simplicity of all I could pretty much take at that time like I just I'd barely surfed two times a week let alone heats in a day but the neurologist and my and you know my well my family was super nervous about this and I don't think they all agreed, but my neurologist was assured that this was the way to get my life back. This was about regaining life. It wasn't about winning a world tour event and going to number one in the world in the first, your very first event back. Um, it was about doing an event, pulling you out and letting you recover. And But you did win it. But I won. And I don't know how, I, I just... It's like all these pathways were just there waiting to be unlocked. Um, and heat by heat, it just kept unlocking. Owens on the next wave. There's the fin drift. Places it vertical. Owen in motion. And now getting out. Everyone on their feet in the competitors area applauding one of the greatest comebacks to the jersey. The lead has changed several times. Oh. And that was that big turn you saw at the back. Yeah, nice vertical turn. That big wrapping maneuver again. And this side, uh, this wave is going to be Owen's best wave by far. I'm calling this going to be the best wave of the heat. I won. <laughs> it, I still am shocked by it. It's like... Well, when I said oh, I went through it on YouTube, that was my favourite part, watching yeah. the final versus Wilco. And again, like your book, I thought I, I just went through here. And I, <laughs> you cost me a lot of time because I, I watched the whole thing. It, it's on YouTube. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. And to see you up the beach, and but, but you you sort of you move forward, and you talked about having to sleep sitting up. So you put your vest back on, or like you paddle out at, back out at pipe for the first time. I'd already gone through most of the season at, at in twenty seventeen, and I was a step foot in Hawaii. My, I had a knot in my chest that didn't leave for a month and a half, and I. Couldn't sleep for a month and a half. I just sleep sitting up. I was in so much pain. I was couldn't I couldn't lay down. The anxiety knowing you're going back to surf at Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. Put the rashi on and got out there. Does the first wave come and you just go or no? It doesn't go according to plan, man. Owen Wright checking out a wave of backdoor. That end section clamps on Owen and ends up taking him down. Owen, very selective, now picks off this right at back door. Nothing on offer, so straight out the back. I'm out there, but I'm like, I can barely move my neck, man. I haven't slept for weeks, and I can barely move. I'm, it's like I've got probably a few degrees to either side of my neck. I can't look up, um, which is impacting everything, but, I'm, but I knew I needed to be out there. Um, and I, I just kind of freeze up, man. I, I get like a couple small points, maybe two and a three. So this um, is in competition, people in, that understand now. In, in competition. This is like, um, I'm coming fifth in the world at this stage. Time's going to be the enemy for Owen. As you said, sat for quite some time. And uh, this is his best wave. It's not going to be a big score, Joe. It's only just going to get him out of that combo situation. 2.37 for Owen Wright. Yeah. Um, you know, first year back. So I, you know, I all I, you know, I would have loved to have made. All I had to do is make one heat at pipe, and I would have been in the top five or you know beyond. But just froze up, couldn't move. But um, it took years, it took years of trying to surf that wave again. I'm not gonna lie, it wasn't. That's why I say it's like, did did was I a change man? I don't know. Did I go and try and do the same things that I used to do? Yeah, I tried to surf pipe again. I tried to, mm. like, I was, but I wasn't the same. I was different. 
Back to Owen in a tick. We have been lucky to feature quite a few surfers on this show. Are you ready? Way back on episode 15, 15, Lane Beachley, Mick Fanning on episode 27, big wave legend. By gee, did this man have some stories. Garrett McNamara, episode 85. Sally Fitzgibbons, back in the time of COVID, episode 89. Potts, Martin Potter, episode 101. And the King, Kelly Slater, four years in the making that episode. That was number 117. But back on episode 61, the 2012 World Surf Champion joined us. One of the coolest cats in Aussie sport. His name, Joel Parkinson. How are you going watching one of your mates surf against Kelly Slater? Was if your mate beats him, then you're the world champion. Yeah. There's amazing shots of you. Kelly had an amazing, amazing um, quarterfinal right before it. So an hour before, he puts on a clinic on Shane Dorian. Like, yep. huge scores. Anyway, I was thinking, oh, you know, the king is doing his thing again. Here we go. <laughs> the king. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I'm like, oh, no, all right, here we go. It's going to on now. And it just went to absolute, like, crap the waves. And I was <laughs> like, yes. Curry started with his good wave. He got a, an eight or so. After that, they both couldn't even find a two or a three. And I was just going, it got worse and worse with that eight. I was just going. What were you doing? I was just pacing, just burning holes in the wall floor. And just, Did you lock yourself in the bathroom? I was walking. I was doing everything. I was just trying not to focus, trying not to think about it. I was just doing circles. Kept just for that, you know, I was in there watching, kept looking, going, no, don't look, you know, load, look, just don't get, what, how long we got? You know, I was just, <laughs> I was just a mess, I suppose, just screaming into a pillow, just doing everything, poking my head out, not sure what's happening, not sure, and then um, it just started ticking away. I remember it was seven minutes, fives, and then I started going like every 20 seconds, how long's left? I got to like three, and Kelly was needing a huge score. Next thing you know, I, that's it, it went, you know, 10, 9, 8, and away we went. That is Joel Parkinson on episode 61. Let's get back to Owen. You know, you had your last event at Bells, which was a just a triumph for you and your family. Mm-hmm. To step away, athletes talk about how hard it is to retire. Mm-hmm. But when it's probably early and they were hoping, expecting or dreaming, I presume it's even harder. What was, was it a relief? Was it a difficult decision to make? Was it the only decision you could make? Like from the outside looking in, it's the Mm. only decision you could make for your health and your wife and and your children. Yeah. But I imagine when that is such a part of your being that it's not the easiest thing to do. And I tossed it around for six months. Did you? Yeah. It was like. Yeah, I didn't want to make the phone call. I had to call Rip Curl. I was like, this is not what I even want to do. I don't even want to have this conversation. I've had I've had the conversation a number of times. To be fair, Rip Curl are probably hoping to get that call from you yeah, because yeah. of their love for you. They're probably waiting for the call for you to say, I'm, I'm done here. Yeah. And I think like, you know, the guys in Rip Curl and, you know, they probably knew, you know, a lot of, I think my teammates knew, I think my family knew, I think everyone else knew but, but me <laughs> that it was like, it was time, you know, they'd seen, you know, they'd seen what I'd gone through just to stay at that level for that long um, after an accident like that and, um, you know, many more things that unfolded in it. But but prior to making that decision, surfing was at the Olympics for the first time. Yeah, yeah. The delayed Olympics. Yeah. Um, and you are a man that wasn't going to make the team, made the team... Yeah. Won Australia's first ever medal yeah. in surfing. I was such an outside shot, man. Yeah. Like I didn't even, it didn't even look like I was going to make the team. And then, it, yeah, I made the team in the top spot, mind you. And um, I did that through overcoming my fear at Chopu in a huge wave. Huge wave. Launches himself into a Watch solid out. cavern. Yeah. Comes flying out. There's the emotion from Owen Wright. Because he knows he was ultra deep on that left-hander. Stalls off the takeoff. Pulls in. Again stalling. Great length. Completely disappeared. Came out. Was stoked with it. And I feel like that 773 indicates to us that the judges, they're coming along for this party. The Owen Wright party. He could get the win here with this score. There it is. A 9-1-7 for Owen Wright and the lead off Medina.
I put on a helmet for the first time. So it's like those parts in life where you kind of like, maybe I didn't learn, but maybe I did. I started to, I started to learn ways around fear that didn't have to be head on to fear, but I could actually put on some safety equipment or pick the eyes out of it or learn different way. My relationship with fear was different to what I'd learned as a child. Mm. Now was, I was starting to evolve into a different form. And so evolving that relationship with fear of like, okay, well, you can listen to it sometimes and maybe you don't have to go that way because you are scared. Maybe you're good for good reason. That's not defeat. That's not defeat. That's not a loss. That's not, you don't have to conquer that every time. So I was learning this new way and it, and it brought me to a win which qualified me for the Olympics. Um, and then, yeah, coming to the Olympics, it was like, okay, it's in Japan. I'm six foot three and it's going to be tiny. So I was kind of like like a bit of a, a bit of a same thing where the fear came up and was like, I'm representing my country. I'm not the best person for the job here. Like I, I'm clearly not an air guy anymore. I've, I don't have the ability to, to spin and like I used to without getting unstuck, you know, and then, um, without being a bit dizzy and like things like that. So I, with my new way of looking at fear, as I started to, all right, I'm scared of not representing my country. Well, what do I need to do here? So I just started to train in small waves. Like all the time we just did session after session in tiny waves, bad waves. <laughs> I tried to like, I brought myself back into the space where I need to like get really good at spinning again. I don't think it particularly worked, to be honest, but... <laughs> I well, guess, there's a, there's I a medal to say it did. <laughs> yeah, there is a medal to say it did, so... Um, but, yeah, I, you know, we get to the Olympics and and then uh, we have this crazy typhoon swell, <laughs> which is, like, just that little reprieve that I needed from Mother Nature to just... The waves popped up just that enough yep. to, like, all the training I'd done and things synced up and, um, yeah, and I walked away with this this metal man and I'd been visualizing it for like, you know, like years because of the delay as well. Yeah. Right? And I'd just been like, just, I'm going to walk away with the metal. And that was what everything in my head was thinking, you know, and I'd probably, I've experienced things like winning my first event back. So at this stage I kind of was like, don't count yourself out. I'd experienced something where it's not supposed to mm. happen. So I had a bit of a, dream that just I kept dreaming every day what did it mean to you mate that 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 to me oh, that's as mainstream as surfing has ever been yeah because now it's a wider sport audience they don't have to be watching J-Bay and Pipe and mm -hmm. um, Bells they're watching yep. the Olympics and they want to watch because they haven't seen surfing before and then there's this big tall Aussie dude with a medal around his neck <laughs> yeah yeah uh, to me it was like it was the pinnacle of my career. I had lots of great moments, but like for everything that was going on in my life and around that and my whole career, I felt like I'd led to that moment. I would love to have walked away with the gold, but that bronze medal felt like rose gold, man. It was just, it felt incredible to me. Um, it felt like, it felt like the moment where I, I was like, well done. Owen Wright of Australia, he's nearly there. Six seconds, five, he's got the priority and he's away and he's going to take home an Olympic bronze medal. Yes, the victory lap for Owen Wright, a bronze medal for the Australian. The team are ecstatic. Great effort, fantastic effort. Well done, young man. The road to recovery is complete for Owen Wright. It's an amazing story. Just look what it means to Owen Wright. The challenges and everything like that, it, it really did feel like a moment where I, my shoulders relaxed a little bit and went, yep, yeah, well done, mate. Like a real incense of pride and and being, you know, proud to represent how I represented my country, my family, you know, like my wife and the kids. And, yeah, it became this thing that wasn't just like a world title. It was like I can tell my kids I won an Olympic medal and it's like, just sits outside of the the usual track of, you know, events and whatnot. So. Well, you to be massively congratulated because obviously back here it was the lockdown Olympics. Um, yeah. So we saw a lot of it and it was by far and away my favourite moment 
of the Olympics. Um, oh. It was great to, again, jump on YouTube and follow it. Um, follow it. Follow it through, yeah. Yeah, follow it through in the book. Um, we need to lighten things up a bit. I need yeah, to get out of here soon. It's been, um, <laughs> I've just got a few more questions for you. I have two children uh, that okay. I've mentioned. One of them asks a question that is most connected to the guest. Mm-hmm. You now get the question from my 11-year-old son mm-hmm. who loves to surf. Yep. Um, his name is Mac, but he rolls as the big penguin. The big penguin. Oh, issue. is that out of the, um, the, the surf's up movie? No, no. no. It's just like when he was two and a half. I went oh, in wow. one morning and said, oh, Mac, I was trying to get up. He said, no, my name's not Mac. It's big penguin. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't even penguin. It had to be big penguin. Big penguin. So early days, Love you'd be it. around coals and he wouldn't yeah. answer to you. You're yeah. like, oh, Mac, it's time to go. And he, he, you have to shout out across the aisle, big penguin, it's time to roll. Amazing. So you get the question from the big penguin. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Hey, I'm Big Penguin here. First off, congratulations on winning a bronze medal for surfing in the Olympics. And also, I really like your book. It's really interesting. Anyway, I love surfing and my favourite surf spot's this little place in a town in Bowen Heads, which is in Australia, and it's called 13th Beach. And there's a break that's called Boing. Shh, don't tell anyone that. <laughs> anyway... That's my favourite spot to surf. And I also really love surfing in Costa Rica because the water is super warm. Anyway, where's your favourite spot to surf? It takes a while to ask a question, the penguin, but you get the gist. <laughs> Good question. Mm. Oh, favourite spot. You can choose one and you've surfed the whole planet. I know. That's a tough question, big penguin. Um, See, you thought mine were tough. It's the little man that delivers the hammer blow at the end. It's just like... Where do you go with this? You know, do you go to your best memories? Do you go to like the best weather or the best waves? Do you go to a mix? I, I, man, so tough. I, I, I guess I'm gonna have to go with Aussie Pipe. It's wow. Yeah. It, the wave's incredible. It's like, it's, it's Summer Cloud Bay, right? It's the sun sets when you're out there. Um, it's a pretty special place. It's all my childhood memories there. Every time I surf there, it brings this like light back within, <laughs> man. Just like this, like like it is, you know, for a child yeah. going for their first surf or their surf with their buddies. Like yep. it's it. I think for me, that's the place that just. It's my favourite spot. And, I mean, I don't think I could say that if it wasn't Aussie Pipe. Like, the wave is still holds its own amongst, you know, like the, the Chopus and the, mm. you know, the perfect waves in Indo and the rest of it. So I'd, I'd have to say it's Aussie Pipe. I'll let him know. Um, yeah. Before I let you go, a couple more for you. Yeah. We mentioned various times um, the search and sticking the VHS in and watching these movies of these blokes in board shorts just seemingly living the dream and yeah. going on these boats and um, talking to a few of the Rip Curl people, it sounds like that the search is being reinvented in a way that it's the search, which is 2023 now, the search within yourself and what you're about and what you're learning and mm-hmm. not just a physical trip. So... To you, what what's the search now? Oh, it it's definitely gone back to the core for me. Um, the search now would be about like some friends, which are mostly just like team riders and things like that. You know that we've all hung out together for the last however many years, and it would be about like you know trying to go to those off the beaten track locations and and not and not staying in the nice houses like <laughs> weirdly like full circle for me yeah. where I really crave that like just peeling it right back and and exploring and searching and finding some good ways but without all the luxury and comforts that I've done it for with the last 10 years <laughs> back to old school with your dad yeah, I love it yeah that to me, that's probably what the search will be about now. I always finish this way. Um, and I hope parents have listened to this with their children, which they always do on the show, which we're grateful for. I always finish the same way. Oh, yeah. Um, about passing on advice mm-hmm. to the younger generation. You've had tremendous success. 
you've obviously had some big, big, big mounts to climb along your journey. And mm-hmm. I appreciate how candid you've been about those. Mm. For those youngsters out there that want to achieve success in their field, whether mm-hmm. they want to be social media gurus or they want to be engineers or they mm. want to be pianists or scientists, from your experiences and the success you've had, what advice would you pass on? And now being a father, it's a more weighty question than if I'd asked you seven years ago when you weren't a father. Yeah. I would probably talk a little bit about fear and your relationship with it because I think that can stop you no matter what job title you have. Your relationship with fear can often be what either halts you or leads you down a, 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 a you know, potentially a bad wipeout, you know, in, in surfing terms. So my advice would be to to learn to understand that and understand your relationship with that. And and that might be you might just recognize something about yourself that you you often take a backward step when that when that fear does come up, or you could not recognize that you just want to run straight through it. But starting to understand how you re- relate to that and and work with that. I, I don't think it's something you need to block out and I don't think it's something you need to run towards and I don't think it's something you need to shy away from necessarily. I think it, there is an element of leaning in. There's an element of listening. Um, but it can also ultimately help be a great guide. So I would probably pass on that um, piece of advice and you could probably understand that with a little bit of what you mm. heard today. But that's what I'll be passing on to my kids, I think. The book is called Against the Water. The author is Owen Wright. Mick Fanning, as I said, described it as the all-time sporting comeback. There is so much more in this book than you've heard in this podcast, which is why you need to go and buy it, read it, share it with other people, make it one of those books that's dog-eared in the uh, in the bookshelf. I think it'd be fantastic, mate. As you know, I've been trying to um, get some time with you for quite some time and through it, I didn't realise that you were going through potential retirement. You're still surfing when we started to try and tee it up. I said to you, the book blew me away, but the conversations blew me away even further. I know you had some reservations about an in-depth description. I thought you handled it phenomenally well. Um, and when it's all said and done, you mm-hmm. are the first ever Australian to win an Olympic medal in surfing, which is absolutely brilliant, mate. Good luck to you, your beautiful wife, your kids, um, and people are going to be blown away by the book. Thanks for coming on the show and being really um, vulnerable and open and honest. It's a ripping episode and it's one that this whole show aims to try and do and you've absolutely nailed it, so thank you, mate. Thanks so much for having me on and giving me the opportunity to share and um, I hope, hope people get a lot out of it. And Yeah, thanks. Not much more I can add here, I don't reckon, except to say Owen's story, and just as much his ability to tell it so clearly, left a big impression on me for so many reasons. Hope you also took something from it. Please share it with those that you love. It's a story that deserves to be heard, I reckon. Thanks to Owen for his trust. Once more, his book, Owen Wright Against the Water, is waiting for you right now. Until next week, with Georgie Gregan... Peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try. If we try, try, try.